Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossi. I don't know why I said that hello like that. I, I'm trying to sound up, and instead I just sounded out. But regardless, uh, we're doing a podcast. It's called Blizzard Watch. We talk about various games and TV and movies and all sorts of cool stuff, a lot of them being from Blizzard Entertainment, as you might have guessed from said name. We do not talk about snow. Right now, I wish we could talk about snow, because it's freaking hot. Too warm. Uh, I'm sure it's hot where Liz is because Liz lives in Texas, um, but I think Joe lives in Buffalo, so it could be Lake Effect cooling it down, or it could nope, be horrible it's so heat. Hot. Yeah, I figured. It's uh, it's been raining here for the past couple of days, like sometimes <sighs> torrential rains and thunderstorms. So now instead of just being super hot all the time, it's like really overpoweringly muggy all the time. Yeah. But I'm going to move on from all the possibly cynical things I might say right now and instead talk about other things. The first thing I want to talk about actually is some stuff that is about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we got the announcement last week at Wizard Presents. I think this happened on Thursday or Friday. I honestly can't remember. Again, last week is an amorphous block of time that I no longer recall. But um, on at the uh, Wizards Presents panels, there were there was you know various. Wizards of the Coast companies, including, you know, uh, the, the Magic of the Gathering uh, branch had news. Um, one of the big announcements was 1D&D, which is basically in playtest right now. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what the next non-edition version of D&D is going to be like, you will have a chance to playtest it as of right now. You can go and sign up and get your get access to the playtest documents. Uh, it's right there on D&D Beyond. The first playtest document is about races and character options uh they've done a lot of work they've made orc just a standard race they've taken half elves and half orcs and kind of made them not a thing anymore they 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 still you can still play somebody who's half elf or half orc but they don't have to be there's not a specific race in the php for them in the no you can you can kind of be half anything right now yeah they you could be like half dwarf yep you could so a lot of previous editions of D&D had like the mules who are half dwarf. You could just play a half dwarf. Now you could just say, you know, I'm primarily, you know, human, but um, I, I've got dwarf ancestry or what have you. And I mean, if this sounds cool to you, it, it should, because it's exactly Pathfinder two. Exactly. It's not even subtle guys. It's Pathfinder two, but I'm glad they're stealing. Not, not for, pa- for Paizo. I'm sure they're kind of annoyed, but I mean, it's also not of, really that unique. Not, eh, I, I, the way it is done is almost word for word. It's very similar, but regardless, it is a good move for D and D. It is a move they should have made when they put fifth edition out. Um, it is very much in keeping with what they've been doing in books like Tasha's. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also, there's a lot of other stuff going on besides the one D and D stuff. I want to talk about some or all of it, but I want to let like both Liz and Joe chime in here. What did you like? What do you guys think of one D and D? What do you think of what, what they're offering? Cause there's stuff I haven't mentioned. 
I mean, so far so good. I mean, I'm really interested in seeing how it continues to shape up. That's always the problem with early content previews. It's like, okay, this is an early draft. What's next? And um, so, I mean, now's the time to submit feedback. They're opening feedback surveys on September 1st. And if any of you enjoy D&D, if you like 1D&D, if you hate 1D&D, that's the time to say it so that the game can evolve and adapt. I do like they're carrying forward all the stuff from Tasha's so you do not see and, you know, previous kind of diversity initiatives. So you don't see any races that are like definitely evil. You don't see any races like, oh, everyone in this race is really strong or everyone in this race is really smart. In fact, they... uh I believe they've completely decoupled stats from races. Now your stats are based on your background. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, and that makes yeah. that makes a lot more sense to me. You say, oh, I was a stone worker or whatever. And so I'm really strong. I've built up these muscles. And you don't, you know, that's not tied to your racial background. That's tied to, you know, your identity and what you've done with your life. So I think there are, there are a lot of good changes here. Um, and I'm just interested to see how it shakes up. I like the concept of getting a feat at first level because feats always feel like very powerful and impactful. Welcome back, third and, edition. <laughs> and and fun. But you don't get them until later. You have to give up stat bonuses to get them. And sometimes stat bonuses are pretty important at those early levels. And, you know, most campaigns don't go up to, like, level 20 where you have a lot of opportunities to pick up feats. So it's cool to uh, have some of that accessible at first level, though they've changed feats to be, like, um, different feats are at different levels. Yep. And you can pick up first level feats at first level, so a little, a little less powerful feats. But you can pick up something cool that fits with your character identity, and I really like that. I'm actually, I don't know, I was going to ask Joe about this, so I will. Joe, what do you think the, the digital play tool set's going to be? How do you think that's going to work? So the, you're talking about the virtual tabletop, or are you talking about the, the, the digital book selling? Because I have no, opinions no. on both. The tabletop. Okay. Um, it looks like it's going to be very similar to what they did originally with uh, Neverwinter Nights. So at one point in time, if you played back in the golden era of like, D&D 3.5 video games, Neverwinter Nights was sort of like the pinnacle. And the reason it was at the time is that it had a essentially a virtual tabletop mode before virtual tabletops were a thing where you could create entire campaigns. You could put NPCs in there. You could do scripting if you wanted to go the full route, or you could just multiplayer people with tokens and control what you needed to control a monster wise as the GM in real time in a sandbox, essentially. Uh, What it looks like from the limited screenshots that they've seen and some of the pre-alpha stuff, this looks like it's very similar to the Baldur's Gate 3 engine with static figures, which I think is interesting. My curiosity is going to be how it's going to handle, one, monetization of those assets, and two, how customization of characters are going to be. Because... Things like Eldritch Foundry and things like um, Hero Forge and a few other digital uh, model creators or create creation sites have an option to export your STL files or OBJ files or other formats that are viable and usable as 3D assets in games, uh, like in like stuff like this. So I'm curious if they're going to allow the import. So like. That would be really rad uh, if you could go to a site, create the exact character you want, and then import it into the virtual tabletop that is actually going. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited about it. I actually know more than I'm allowed to talk about, <laughs> so we can talk offline about that. Uh, but I'm excited for the virtual tabletop quite a bit. Okay, you wanted to you said you wanted to talk about the books, uh, Liz. You you have opinions about that too, right? About the ta- the virtual tabletop. No, the uh, well, yeah. If you want to talk about the virtual tabletop, by all means. <laughs> but I meant the, uh, the the books. Talk about whatever you want, but like you know, if you got something to go for, go. Uh, the the upcoming books or the fact that you can now buy digital physical bundles. That one, because I don't think we have the post about the the upcoming books on the site yet. No, um, we don't. But uh, 
upcoming books do exist. We did get the whole slate for 2023, mm-hmm. but I don't have it Still in no my F's. head. <laughs> I, I, I pretty much know all of it off the top of my head. So if, when you go and then when I come around, I'll talk about them. Uh, so, yeah, one of the things that I think a lot of people have been asking for for a long time, and especially since Wizards of the Coast acquired D&D Beyond, is why can't I get digital books bundled with my physical books? And uh, Wizards is finally doing that, or at least they're making a, like a trial run of it with the upcoming Dragonlance book, which you can buy directly from Wizards of the Coast bundled with a copy on D&D Beyond. And you will get that digital copy on D&D Beyond two weeks before the release. I think mm-hmm. it's two weeks. You yep. get it early. And mm-hmm. so so that certainly does kind of compel you to spend a little extra money to get this digital bundle, bundle from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, the other catch, you can only buy it from Wizards of the Coast. That's it. It's Wizards well, of the Coast or nothing. Right now, yes. Right now, they the website does say something about exploring options to work with local game stores, but currently it's only available from Wizards of the Coast, which I think is uh, kind of disappointing because there are so many great local game stores out there, and we want them to keep existing. We want to support them. Can I rant? But uh, Oh, go for it. This is one of the dumbest soft launches I have ever seen from a company that makes billions of dollars, and they should have known better. Everybody wants digital bundles, but they're alienating their core support group that has basically kept their company alive and pumping money into them throughout the entirety of this pandemic, which is local game stores where people were buying books and stuff, even still, even despite, uh, you know, everything else going on. It is I have been watching retail groups of retailers who they're being promised that there's going to be a solution but they're not saying anything and doing this where the digital bundle is only from wizards right now. Don't get me wrong. I want these bundles, but why start pushing it now before you even have a solution in place for these local game stores? And I understand distribution is a thing. I understand that this is a, a, a big thing, but that's ridiculously, ridiculously going to hurt local game stores. And for people out there that are saying it won't, people will still support them. Some people will, but that lure of getting that guaranteed digital copy two weeks early is huge for some people. It's huge for a lot of people. And if I can buy the physical book and have it shipped to my house and the digital version and only pay a little bit more and have access to the stuff two weeks before anybody else, that's almost a no brainer. Like I am really upset by this. Like it's, I don't understand why they would do this without having a solution in place. This is something I want, and we've talked about this a lot, but why not have a solution in place for retailers? Because it's going to hurt them a lot. Like, not wizards, it's going to hurt retailers. And maybe I'm a little too close to this one in particular, but it it feels dangerous. I am. I really wish they would have a solution or be more transparent about it with retailers. So, that's my rant. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's a, fair, it's a fair point to make. I was thinking about this problem, the, the the early part of it, the fact that you get it two weeks early if you buy it directly from Wizards. That's huge. And yeah, that's that's hard to get problem. around. The yeah. only the only way I could even see would be to literally have that you get for lack of a better word, it would be that that Wizards buys the book from the local game store for you. Like one way to do that would be if they give you a voucher that then you know, you, you go to your game store but, and then it's like a gift certificate that the game store has signed up for. But here's, and then, you know, but that's it, the only thing I can think of. And here's a problem with that, right? A lot of most game stores operate, especially in the tabletop RPG book space in the current age off of pre-orders as well. Mm-hmm. But you, you can't afford to keep a ton of copies in stock because if it's dead stock or you over buy on like one particular thing, it takes up a lot of shelf space and becomes impossible to move. And it's horrible for you. It just it's it's literally something that you either have to move at a, at a massive discount, or it's just in your shelf forever. And core books are fine, like D and D players' handbooks, dungeon masters' guides, whatever. Those can sit on a shelf. Those are are what you call like your your ever stocks. Your you always want to have at least some of those on hand because those will always move, especially with new players. But campaign settings, it's hit or miss. Like the new Critical Role one came out, and uh, the the Tal'Dorei one. And like three people wanted it at least. And I'm, I'm exaggerating. I'm just from my personal experience here. 
it was a very limited number and they were all people that pre-ordered it and nobody bought it off the shelf afterwards. Of course, the other thing is the Taldori book was not an official D&D Wizards of the Coast publication. So I Fair. think it probably got less attention but and uh, less publicity. We had the, but I also noticed the same problem with, um, what was the one that came out before uh, Radiant Call Citadel? of the Nether Deep. Yeah, that's Call it. Call of the Nether Deep? Yeah. Yep. Say, the same thing with it. Like, And it's, it's not mm-hmm. a, and I understand it, like I get it, but it's just like, the the solution to me is have a digital distributor in place that works with the distribution centers. Because here's the thing, like it's very rare you buy your books directly from Wizards if you're a store. You buy them from a distributor. You buy them from uh, somebody like Alliance or GTS or, or something like that that has or Magazine Exchange. And you get them in and you sell them that way. And you, very rarely do you go direct. They could have worked with those distributors to generate codes, digital codes, because other games already do this. Privateer Press does this. Um, Asmo, Asmodee does this already with things like, uh, uh, which well, I can't think of Marvel Crisis uh, Protocol. Like there are things that they generate. You purchase something, you the store generates a code or gets a list of codes to hand out when somebody purchases something, and then the retailer just hands it to them. Like they could do that, but unless they're like you said, unless they're going to pre-buy them, it's. It's a sore spot for me. I think there is a solution that could be done. I just wish they would have waited to announce all this until they had the solution in place. Okay. Uh, but moving on to the upcoming books for 2023. The first book that's been announced is winter 2023. It's the uh, Keys to the Golden Vault book. And it's basically, if you've read Patrick Weeks' novels, he was a writer on Dragon Age, and he's currently working for uh, the company that did uh, Odyssey of the Dragonflight. Um he wrote a book called the uh, palace job and it's basically, yes. it's a heist movie in a D and D game. Like mm-hmm. it is a fantasy version of, of a heist movie. They're so good. Uh, like the Italian job. It's, it's literally, it's, it's pretty much almost an homage to the Italian job. Yeah. The palace and, job, the prophecy con. And I forgot what the third one was. Yeah. Something, the paladin, something. Yeah. The paladin uh, caper. <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of what they're going to be doing. Um, they're going to be doing a series of adventures and because it's an anthology, you can use them. It's not a campaign. You're not expected to use all of them. Uh, you can run them in any order you want. You can break them up. You can do them as like parts of other things. You can just keep it so that, you know, when you, when you need an adventure and you just didn't prep this week, cause you know, you're extremely tired or you, you haven't gotten a lot of sleep. That's what I love published module adventure type things for that reason. Like when you're, you're just too tired but you need to run a game. You can just take the book out, flip through it, make any changes you need to make in your head and just go. And I've always liked that about them. So that's, that's what it's going to be. It's kind of like Candlekeep, except that I think Candlekeep was more unified. Uh, and, and hopefully it's as good as Candlekeep because Candlekeep was pretty good. Um, especially when you have a good DM, this is a shout out to Liz. Bring back Candlekeep. <laughs> it's um, hard to find the time. I know. I know. Believe me. I know. <clears throat> but after that, uh, the uh, next book on the schedule is there's two books for summer. Um, and the first one is Big B presents uh, Glory of the Giants, which is essentially Fizzmans. It's Fizzmans for Giants. I'm looking forward to this one because I want to see what they do to make Giants kind of scary again. In first and second edition, Giants were scary. They were pretty bad in third, too. Yeah, giants were were not to be trifled with, especially once you started getting up to like the heavier weight class of giants, like fire giants and so forth. Yeah, if you ever played Skyrim and randomly came across a giant and it messed you up real bad on that first time, that's what giants were like. Yeah, and I think I think Fifth Edition tried with like Storm King's uh, Thunder, but I don't think it quite got there. And I'm so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Fourth Edition had the interesting conceit that there were these primordial elemental beings who were like these titanic forces that fought the gods at the dawn of time, and they're trying. It feels like they're going that way again between the emphasis on the giants and all the elemental stuff that they seem to also be putting in there, and with the Rune Knight class, you know, introduced back in Tasha's. Uh, giant magic is a thing again in the game. So there's definitely some interesting stuff going on there. I'm looking forward to that. Plus it's Bigby. Bigby is another one of those figures. It's really interesting to me that um, Wizards has brought various figures from, you know, D&D's past into these books. You've got Xanatar's Guide to Everything. Xanatar is a Forgotten Realms character. <clears throat> but then you've got <clears throat> Mordenkainen, who's had two books at this point. Uh, you've got Tasha, for, mm-hmm. who's Igwilv. Um, and now you're going to have Bigby from Greyhawk. They're all from Greyhawk, except Eat. for Xanatar. 
Yep. For, for you what know, about what about Fizban? Where, where, where he is from Crin. He Crin. is from Crin. Yep. But Bahamut was first introduced in Greyhawk. Yep. And Fizban is Bahamut. Yep. Because Fizban is Paladine and Paladine is Bahamut. So it's interesting <laughs> to me. I know that that's like, oh God, keep track of this. But I, I am Elminster book when. Yeah, hopefully never. <laughs> let's let's never see an Elminster book. Let's let's just leave the Forgotten Realms. Close the door. Let's go all the places. They're cooler. I've never liked the Forgotten Realms. I'll be up front. Always kind of disliked it. Wait, you don't like Nothing you don't like you, you don't like Red, I was gonna say you don't like Red Cloak Gandalf. Uh, I don't see the thing is I don't have anything against Ed Greenwood, and I think Elminster was a useful character in some books, but I just never liked the Forgotten Realms. It just never clicked for me. So, like, regardless. Big B's coming back. We're going to get to see the guy who created all those various giant hand spells. Pirate ghost. So we're going to get to see, you know, Big B. We're going to get to see giants, new magic, interesting stuff. The role of giants in the multiverse, because they did that with dragons and it's really good in Fizzman. So I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic um, that that will be good. After that, we're going to get the, the book of many things. Yes. I saw that. The book of many things is a book about the deck of many things and player and DM options drawn from the deck of many. Uh, If you're crazy enough as a DM, and I don't know who would be this crazy to use the deck of many things, like, like near the beginning of your campaign, like some (laughs) kind of mad person. Yeah. I know. I know someone who's this crazy and they're on this podcast. You know, you know, two people like that. (laughs) And they're both on this podcast right now. I literally wrote an Uh, article for the website about why it's a good idea to use the deck of many things. (laughs) (sighs) And then like, I laughed so hard when I saw he was writing that, but regardless. And so you've got the book of book of many things coming out to tie in all sorts of interesting spells and character options to the deck of many things, which I think is really cool. Then we're going to have a really interesting one because they're, they're doing what they're calling the fan Delver campaign based around the intro adventure from when fifth edition first came out called lost mine of Fandelver and Fandelver is in the forgotten realms. So mm-hmm. obviously they're going to have to change sword the Coast. name just to be in Greyhawk at some point. Uh, but no, no, I'm kidding. It's, it's in the sword coast. It's not too far from Baldur's gate actually. So if you were doing a candle keep campaign, you could probably move some Fandelver stuff in. There. Uh, but regardless the intro campaign, it was like an intro adventure. It's actually really, it's not a tremendously complicated intro adventure. It's, it's literally an intro adventure for like people who've never played this game before. And now they're going to expand it out into a campaign, which I've not heard of happening very often. The only time I can think of anything like that happening was when there was an old module called uh, uh, the, the town of Hamlet. And the town of Hamlet was the first in the, the temple of elemental series, mm, yep. but it never went beyond Hamlet for like six years. They put out the Hamlet book and then they didn't do anything else with it. And then at one point they just were like, Oh, 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 we should, we should have actually released the rest of it. Frank, can can you get that edited together? And Frank Menser, who at the time was a, was a TSR employee sat down and got all of it ready. And they put out this mega adventure, very similar to say, uh, descent into Avernus or what have you, but in the day. I'm interested to see how this Fandelver thing works as a campaign. I'm interested to see, first off, do they keep the intro adventure as part of it? Do you have that really easy, not easy, but the, the, the stripped down, just getting people familiar with the concepts adventure? Is that the opening? Or do you like do you take the whole thing and make it more complex? Because I feel like D&D can be kind of hard to learn for people who've never played it before and have never seen anyone playing it. And I don't know if we live in an ecosystem where you can just assume new players have seen a streaming show. Maybe we do. And maybe you can, you can do without it. They put out the, they put out a, 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 a beginner set. I think this month. Yeah. The new so one. So maybe uh, the interesting thing about that, it's a big box store exclusive right now. The essentials kit, the beginner kit for right now, I think until the end of September, like I think you can only get it. I think it's a target exclusive right now. All right. Yeah. So that makes sense. So yeah, I, I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm, I'm interested in seeing what they do with Fandelver. There's actually a lot of possibility there because if you actually go look up Fandelver on the uh, Forgotten Realms wiki, which I did, uh, there's actually a lot of connections to areas around there. Like as Joe mentioned, it's in the Swords Coast, so there's the Baldur's Gate connection, there's a Candlekeep connection. There's also like a history of weird stuff happening in Fandelver. So I am I am curious to see what happens with that. Um, but but last, certainly not least, last is the the last announcement, which is for autumn of 2023, is Planescape. Yep. Joe and I are already like know exactly what that is. Yep. Uh, I don't 
Liz kind of has an idea because I ran her through the Riaton campaign where I dropped Sigil right in the, the bloody place and had them show up there. Oh, so, well, I still don't know where it is, but okay. <laughs> it's, that city is, Planescape is going to be about the, the city of Sigil, which is in the, the, uh, the, 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 the Outlands mm-hmm. on top of Giant Spire. It's this Taurus ring of a city where the, the city is actually on the inside of the ring going around the, uh, the spire. It's, it's an interesting setting because it, it's, I think it is the ultimate end goal of books that they've been doing, like Fizbins and Tasha's and Mordenkainen's uh, for sure. Mordenkainen's for sure. And, and Spelljammer to some degree, because they've got Radiant Citadel, which, which puts the ethereal plane front and center. They've got Spelljammer, which is all about the astral plane. And now what's next is the other planes. Yeah, the How interpl- are we going to get to see that? You know? Yeah, the inner plane, the ethereal plane, the prime material plane, the astral plane, and the outer planes all tied together. How do you get there? Yeah. City of Doors! Yeah. yeah, and it's been mentioned in other things. It's mentioned in Radiant Citadel. It is, yeah. Uh, Sigils gets mentioned there. Mentioned in um, Spelljammer. Yeah, of course, yeah. So I feel like this is going to be really interesting because I feel like this is the big product that will be coming out well, in 2023 that will serve as the doorway into whatever they put out in 2024, whatever one D and D becomes, it's going to be introduced through sigil, especially because it opens up the, it just opens up no pun intended, a door to so many things. Like you can go to the abyss. You can go to Asheron. You can go to Arcadia. You can go to the Beastlands. Uh, you can go to Elysium, Gehenna, the gray wastes of Hades, uh, limbo. Uh, we've already gone to Mechanus. You can go to Mount Celestia, which we haven't really gone to yet. Uh, Pandemonium Isgard is, is available. Like, all these planes that are talked about and mentioned in basically every book that has been published since fifth edition has come out, whether it is, you know, doing descent to Avernus and learning about all these other planes uh, and levels of the outer planes that you could possibly get to uh, learning that the prime material plane is an oddity among everything. Like all this stuff has been there forever and getting to see maybe the end game start to, to happen where one D and D a system that is built as a forever system and, you know, can just continually be updated, opens the gateway for it. And I'm super, super here for it. Yeah. I, w- one of the things I always think about, and I feel like Joe and I have been talking a lot, so I want to let Liz get in any further thoughts she has before we move on to other stuff. But one of the things that's always interesting to me is how 5th edition took some elements from 4th edition and used them to replace elements from older D&D that weren't that interesting. Like, the Shadowfell and and the Feywild are way more interesting than the positive and negative element, negative energy planes. Because oh, yeah. those planes yeah, yeah, weren't yeah. interesting. You could barely go to them. Like if you went to the positive energy plane, you'd probably blow up. And if you went to the negative energy plane, well, you'd probably turn into an undead because all your life forces are going to get sucked out of you. Mm-hmm. So now having the Shadowfell and the Feywild in those roles means that it's a more interesting cosmology already. And I really want to see how they inter- they integrate all that interesting stuff about planeswalkers, about just the Lady of Pain herself. Yeah. Who is just a fascinating character. Oh. You know, you know almost nothing about. And they're also, I'm sorry, I'm going to shut up here and let Liz talk, but like it also opens up the door now for them to go back and listen to our latest Tavern Watch if you haven't, uh, because when we were talking with Greg about this, um, some of the comments he's making now make sense. <laughs> But we talked. We talked about crossover with like Magic: The Gathering, and Planeswalkers are a huge deal there. And how does that make sense with like you know Theros and Strixhaven and all that? Where where it meets in the cosmology of you know D and D now that they're starting to become these settings, and now this just opens the door to further break that down. Where you know maybe maybe next year we get a Dominaria or New Phyrexia uh, campaign setting. Please give me a New Phyrexia campaign setting. Um, like the opportunity is just there. It's wide open. And I'm going to shut up and let Liz talk now. I have absolutely nothing to say about Planescape because I know nothing about Planescape. So, ah. well, let me put it this way then. Cause I think this is something you will, you will actually have an idea for what, since you don't know anything about Planescape, what do you want in terms of the planes? What do you want for the like the multiverse? What are you looking forward to having finally answered or even finding out about? Is there anything you can think of that interests you in the idea of a plane or adventure? Yeah. See, I just have... Hmm. I mean, I'm just excited to go new places and see new things, particularly places that are kind of outside the traditional fantasy realm, which I think is what makes Spelljammer really exciting. 
and um, even Radiant Citadel because it takes us away from kind of the familiar, kind of that traditional sword and sorcery setting and lets us go, you know, new and interesting places and play, you know, games with a different tone, with a different angle. And I think that's really interesting. And, you know, even if D&D did settings like this that were a traditional fantasy setting, but tried to take it in a different direction, if that made sense, I would yeah. think that was really interesting. So I'm just, I'm interested in the, in what's different, what's new, what takes us out of this kind of traditional dungeons and dragons where we're crawling through dungeons and at the end you fight a dragon or maybe seduce a dragon. I don't know. I'm never letting you seduce a dragon. Well, you know, in one D&D, if you roll a natural 20, you automatically succeed on anything. So it could happen. They put that in? They did put that in. Oh, I hope that comes out because that's not how I'm, <laughs> I'm not adjudicating it that way. Uh, uh, well, that's time for the feedback. Yeah. Regardless, however, we should, at this point, I want to move on because we do have other things to talk about. And there's, there is actually a lot to talk about. So um, last week, Blizzard dropped a pretty big deal. Uh, one of their quarterly development updates for Diablo 4. And one of the things they did was talk about seasons and how seasons are going to work in Diablo 4 and their season pass that's coming. And I feel like this post was in part made because Diablo Immortal, I, I don't I don't want to like make another one of those things where I say a word here that I shouldn't say. I'll just say Diablo Immortal left an impact on the player base that was not positive. Mm-hmm. Even people that like Diablo Immortal and think it's a good game, like myself, recognize that the Diablo Immortal uh, in-game monetization, the store, is at best manipulative. I think many people call it predatory, and I'm I'm hard pressed to disagree with them. It is a situation that I do not think was good for the game. So I feel like, to a degree, the season pass announcement they made for the Diablo Four quarterly update is an attempt to head off people talking about that and say, "Look, this isn't going to be that. This is not going to be like Diablo Immortal." Um, the season pass. I want I want to actually ask Liz to talk more about it because I I'm. Not sure I have all the details straight in my head, but the way I understand it, the season pass will have free and paid versions and there'll be tiers that you can buy uh, on the paid version, but the paid version only gives cosmetic rewards. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what I mean? I'm not wrong here. Am I? Um, I mean, basically you'll have at least as I understand it. And I could also be misunderstanding is that, you know, the pass has tiers and like in Diablo immortal, you can pay money to like jump up to a higher tier. And it sounds like that pay to jump to a higher tier thing will also be in Diablo 4. But if you pay to jump to a higher tier, you don't get any of that stuff that provides in-game benefits, which is stuff on the free rewards track until you put in the gameplay. It sounds like a lot of like how Fortnite does their jumping up. So like you can... You can use V Bucks uh, to like jump up to a certain tier or gain X number of levels uh, out of like a hundred because their season pass I think is still a hundred. I have I have to double check. Um, but like you start at one and move your way up, and there's a free and and the paid one just like this, and all the paid one gets you is faster or more or different cosmetic stuff. And if you pay your bonus points or your V Bucks or whatever to go you know, jump, it's just maybe you complete the set of armor or the, the cosmetic look sooner than, than you would, or maybe it's a different color or something like that. And it seems to work pretty okay. So as long as it stays cosmetics, I'm happy. They specifically pointed out that the, the one thing that people would might make would want to spend money to get that wasn't a cosmetic doesn't work until you've done the quests in the basic free part of the, of the thing. No amount of tear jumping will get you those things faster. You, yeah, you will not get them until you've done the quest to get them. Basically, the free tier pr- does provide useful stuff. Game things that will help you play the game. And the pay for tier is only cosmetic items. Um, and you can jump up to higher levels of both tiers by paying, but you don't get any of the gameplay boosts until you put in the gameplay that would be required to get to that, to the next level. So, so I mean, basically... Yeah. Yeah, basically they're trying to avoid like anything that would make you even think this is pay to win. It's like, okay, you can pay for cosmetics and that's it. Yeah, I, I, I'm actually, I'm happy they came right out and said it early and didn't leave it like, you know, until like the month before the game comes out. 
Because this is going to take a while to penetrate through the discussion bubble about Diablo 4. Um, I think they kind of... I, I, I don't think they regret Diablo Immortal. I mean, it did really well. Uh, but I think they don't like how the messaging went on it. Uh, but they also I talk... Mean, go ahead. It sounds like Immortal is making them an absolute mountain of money. Mm-hmm. And I bet it's still making them an absolute mountain of money. So I, I'm pretty sure they're happy with that. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, any any big corporation is going to be like, yay, money, give a gimme, gimme. But I feel like at the same time, they were aware that this could have hurt. It could still hurt the uh, the launch for Diablo 4. And they've, they've gone to pains to be like, okay, we heard you. You didn't like that. This won't be that. Uh, but the other thing they did was talk about what the season will actually be. And quite frankly, I feel like they made a really good decision here in that the season will basically be like an expanded better version of a Diablo three season instead of being like Diablo two seasons, the latter match seasons. I think that's a good move because what they want is something more akin to this is basically trying to be like a, 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 like a, like an open world game, like a Diablo open world game, which is not something Diablo's ever been before. And by doing the, the expanded seasons with like actual quests and even like story elements to them where they dropped hints. They didn't actually say this, but they dropped some pretty significant hints that the seasons be the primary way that new antagonists show up. So instead of there being a DLC, like like there won't be the, you know, Reaper of Souls expansion type thing for Diablo four. Instead, it'll be more like world of Warcraft before it got expansive. It'll be like, okay, now we're at this point. Now Moradon's here. Now it's Blackwing Lair. Now we've actually gotten to the point where we're going to AQ40. It'll be kind of like that. And that each season will provide a new quest, new activities, and potentially new threats and enemies. Up to and including... This reminded me of the thing that they said last year when they, they mentioned that, yeah, the, the prime evils aren't really showing up you know, in, in the opening of, of Diablo 4. When you first buy Diablo 4, it's Lilith's story. But after that, they could start showing up and that's i got me in, interested in what they do with the season um either of you have anything else to say about that before we try to move on i mean i think it sounds great that they're you know they're planning to do these big content releases to do seasons that are more than just seasons where there's a little gameplay tweak and then you play it and start over and do that for a little while each season will be a story like a like a warcraft content patch yeah i, I definitely noticed that um joe I'm interested to see how that plays out, though, because seasons being a story, are you once you move past it, is it gone forever? And does that story matter for what's coming next? You know what I mean? Like, I, I want to. I'm curious to see how it's handled. I'm not. I don't think it's inherently a bad thing. I'm just not sure how it's going to work. Yeah, I, I definitely wonder if it's going to be kind of like, um, like you mentioned uh, Fortnite before. If it's going to be the way Fortnite things go, where it's still kind of there, but it's it's not the new hotness anymore, or if it is going to be like a, a Diablo three season where it's gone, uh, I, you know, I don't think it'll be that though because the the quests they're talking about sound permanent. Like when they put in the new story chapter, it's got quests and you can do the quests, and I feel that like those quests are permanent. But we'll find out. Okay. Uh, also, just really quick, Diablo three's uh, season twenty seven is this Friday. We are recording this on Tuesday. If you're listening to the live stream, obviously you're listening to it on Tuesday. If you're listening to it on the site, it's probably Wednesday or Thursday. But regardless, by Friday of the week that we're doing it, the end of August, uh, August 26th, I want to say. Or is it? Yeah, it's, it's August 26th. Um, Diablo uh, 3 Season 27 will be out. So I just had to go and get my my character that I've that got converted back from Seasons and ruthlessly prune through my... Uh, my inventory, because, oh my God, did I have more stuff than I had room to put it in. It, it was quite painful to be like going through and say, okay, that's not ancient legendary. That's not ancient legendary. That's not ancient legendary. Goodbye into the hopper. Uh, a lot of stuff got disenchanted. But we should talk about, wow, there's so much to talk about this week. My word. Um, should we talk about, do you want to talk about uh, the uh, the alpha or do you want to talk about Gamescom? <laughs> uh Take your pick or roll the dice. Actually, all right. I, I am going to roll the dice. Hold on. I, I don't actually have a ton to say about either. I have not been playing the alpha, and I was not super blown away by anything at Gamescom. 
Well, let's talk about that then, because I rolled a, t- <laughs> a two, so it's it's game time. Uh, what? I mean, there are certain games that I'm interested in Gamescom. The one that really jumps out to me is the Callisto Protocols because it is essentially like a dead space spiritual yeah. successor, which is how we got Bioshock. Mm-hmm. Somebody went out and made a spiritual successor to System Shock. So I'm very interested in that. And I'm interested in the talk about it being a next gen horror game that uses the consoles it's on to their best ability. Since Joe made a noise there, I think he might want to talk about it too. So I'm going to say, Joe, what do you have to say about Callisto Protocol? Uh, it's mostly just that it you you hit the nail on the head for me. It's that spiritual successor thing. I've been looking forward to Callisto Protocol since it was announced. I love horror games. Uh, I like ones that that try to become something uh, current and something that is you know built with current sensibilities in mind, uh, which is why certain things like you know Dead Space worked when it when it came out, and uh, so many other horror games were hits when they were there. But I'm getting that same type of vibe. Uh, you know, it was a three-minute video of the actual combat gameplay demo, uh, and it felt brutal and punishing, but not in an insurmountable way, not in like a Dark Souls way. Um, it is going to be gory, uh, which I know is not a thing for a lot of people, but it is for me, uh, where I do like that uh, in certain like this type of game. So. The atmosphere is good. The lighting is spectacular so far from what they've shown. So I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested, and it's definitely got my attention. Okay. Um, I also noticed one of the ones that I'm actually looking at right now as I'm scrolling through. Uh, Return to Monkey Island is coming in September. Apparently, uh, I don't know if you guys remember that there was a big kerfuffle on the internet where the developer behind Return to Monkey Island, who was the original guy behind the Monkey Island games in general basically just t- bailed off of social media. He was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. You guys are like way too toxic and aggressive. I am not dealing with this anymore. I, I don't have anything to say about that. Cause it's, it's one of those situations where you, you know, it would take like 20 minutes and I don't necessarily want to talk about that. It is but releasing. It is releasing on talk like a pirate day. Yeah. September 19th. There's a lot of pirate games lately. Um, skull and bones, uh, the Tortuga game they announced at, at, uh, mm-hmm. at gamescom this, I, I, I I feel like there's a lot of pirate games all of a sudden. Well, that's because that's because Sea of Thieves is super popular, so like it's it's that right timing. Yeah, I guess maybe. I I don't know. I feel awful lot like when people are like, "Oh, World of Warcraft is popular. Let's make an MMO." Well, no, I I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that. It's just Sea of Thieves is it like scratches that itch for a lot of people, and I think folks started to see, oh, people are still interested in pirate stuff. It wasn't just done when. Pirates of the Caribbean stopped being pro- like prevalent in media. So, I mean, there are, does seem to be a lot of them, but I'm also here for it. Yeah, I'm, and we'll see how it is. I do. We, have either of you played the original Monkey Island games? Yes. Um, not me. Yeah i I am curious to see if how close this hues to those. All I have, that, I, all I have mm-hmm. to say is LeChuck better be very annoying. Oh well, yeah, I'm I'm sure. Yeah. But the, those games uh, were. They were very much a different kind of role-playing experience than we're used to nowadays. Mm-hmm. So I am, I'm interested in seeing that. The other thing is there's a, a game from the Greedfall developer, Spiders. Uh, I don't know. It didn't actually, I don't think it got an announcement at Gamescom, but maybe it did, but it, it got an announcement of like a couple months ago. Uh, I am super curious about that thing because it's apparently supposed to be a Dark Souls alike. And it might be the game that gets me finally to play a Soulsborne because I don't play those games. I do not like them. But alternate history, French Revolution period with robot uprisings, steampunk robots having a Are We Alive uprising against, you know, the in, during the French Revolution. I, I, I feel like I almost have to play this. I feel like this was like the only thing that would make it more my thing is if a dinosaur showed up. Um, and if a dinosaur shows up, don't tell me because I'll, I'll just die. I'll just die right here. Uh, but yeah, so that's a, that's a few things from Gamescom. Uh, Liz, you said you don't really have anything that you saw that said, you know. Well, there were a couple of games, but it was, it was like two hours of trailers with no break between them. And, you know, it all blurred together in a blur of sameness. That's what I don't like about so many gaming events these days is they try to show you so many trailers all at once and they flash up world premiere in all caps in front of each one like it's really exciting and special but then it's just two hours of non-stop stuff 
cramming its way into your eyeballs. And it just, it all becomes samey and boring. Um, I will say the one game that kind of stood out to me was Moonbreaker, which is a turn-based strategy tabletop tactics game where everything you play with looks like it really gets that miniatures feeling. Yep. Um, and it actually reminded me a lot of the tabletop experience that we talked about with D&D. And it's like it has these little digital miniatures that you can paint. There's a whole painting system where you can customize your miniatures. And it's based in like a sci-fi world that was created by Brandon Sanderson. Yep. So I think I think that looks interesting. That was really the only thing that stood out to me as something that was like interesting and different. And oh, I think I might play that. Yeah, I mean, I saw that. And you know, in the the uh, the Truman Show, or is that scene of Jim Carrey staring up and then just going, "They made it for me." Like I literally saw, <laughs> like I saw that trailer, and I was just like, "Oh, yeah, they got my number." <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and I should mention that the uh, the Saints Row remake came out as we're recording this. It came out today. Yes, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. It's not really a Gamescom thing, but I feel like I should at least mention it. Um, I would like to mention that we got some interesting stuff from Gamescom that I, at least from my perspective, I thought was interesting. Like we now actually have a release date for dead Island Two, a game that I thought was going to die in development hell. So like, I'm surprised to see that not only is it getting regular trailer updates and, and, and spotlights, but it actually has a release date of February. Now they announced that during Gamescom. And I learned that there is a killer clowns from outer space video game, uh, which yeah, I'm, I've been, I've been trying to forget about it ever since I saw the trailer this afternoon. I've been trying to forget about it, it ever since I saw the movie. It <laughs> reminds me like almost like a, a VHS version of um, at least from the stills. And I'm sure this is not the gameplay, but like, do you remember Night Trap from like way back when? Yes. Yes. I remember no. Night Trap. It was a terrible game, but also the like daughter from from different strokes. Dana Plato. Yes. was the star of this FMV game where you were a government agency who was secretly hiding booby traps inside of a house where these girls were to having a house party. To stop vampires from kidnapping uh, yeah. teenagers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was a weird game, but like this has that same like feel and I'm kind of like, I'm kind of okay with it. Um, and then I guess uh, I don't know about you guys, but I actually like Genshin Impact a little bit. Um, I've never played it or looked at it, so. I, it it's got some gotcha stuff, but it's not as bad as some of the others, and it's still fun to play. But we got uh, they announced that Genshin Impact 3.0 uh, is going to be coming out, and they showed the trailer for it. So Gamescom is always an interesting time, but I agree with Liz. Like, it's just a lot of information thrown at you. You're almost invariably better coming back afterwards and just kind of like picking through like a highlight reel or trailer thing of individuals that you want to click. Yeah, on. it's watching the trailer bomb. I, I never thought of it until Liz said it. But it's really like the scene from A Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah. Except instead of, you know, it, it's just trailers, trailers, trailers. Like, I, I seriously, if somebody hasn't already clip cut together, like, scenes from A Clockwork Orange with scenes of, you know, <laughs> world exclusive. And just like, ah, you know, it just because, yeah. Like, the thing is, when you start cramming all the trailers together, you start to see that some games are very, very similar. I mean, you see, okay, here's another World War II shooter, and here's a World War II shooter, and which one was which again? Or, you know, here's a shooter in space that actually kind of looks exactly like the World War II shooter, except with different colors, tones. Because it's built on the same engine. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it just, it kind of, putting everything together like that highlights how non-unique some games are, and that makes them seem a lot less interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, and then there's stuff like the the trailer teaser or whatever you want to call it. Um, the, for word song, the one that's being made by the, uh, by Jeff Gardner, who worked on, you know, Skyrim, he was a Bethesda lead. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, hearing about it, it sounds interesting. Like it's a, it's a, it's basically set in historical Portugal, but one with magic, obviously. And it's, there's conspiracies and supernatural going on. And I'm like, I I like that kind of stuff because it's basically a Tim powers novel, but I, I, at the same time, what? Like, you know, that's not really enough. It's so, yeah, I, I, I feel, I, I definitely feel you on that, but I do want to move us along and talk about um, some stuff going on with the 
the Dragonflight Alpha, because I know at least some of you, you know, are here for that. And we've gone through most of the show and we haven't even touched it. The first thing I think we should talk about is the time skip. Yeah. Um, there's a time skip. I'm sorry. My brain is just going, okay, there's a time skip. <laughs> would you like me to, would you like me to do it? Uh, either you or Liz, you guys could fight for it if you want, or you could do it if Liz doesn't yeah. want to. Y- you go for it, Joe. So we have, we have learned that we have spent the last two years of in-game time inside of the Shadowlands. When we emerge, uh, we then have a three-year downtime. Uh, so from the start of Shadowlands to where we start dra- uh, Dragonflight, there has been a five-year gap. Um, the two-year events of Shadowlands and three years of downtime. Uh, it's the first time that they've really committed to like an actual, here's how much time passes, um, and with nothing, quote-unquote, major cosmically breaking happening. Uh, but it was very interesting because now we as players get to decide what our characters did during that three-year downtime when Dragonflight kicks off. What do you guys think about that? What would your characters be doing for three years? I think she's been drinking pretty heavily. (laughs) I mean, Uh, in the past few years, her, her entire world got rocked when demons invaded. Then her home got burned to the ground. Uh, Then, you know, after like her people had to defend against the undead by themselves, because nobody in the Alliance wanted to help. Then we had to make peace with the horde. And then we went to the land of death. I think she's been through a lot. Um, we actually did a breakfast topic on that this morning, and I've seen a lot of responses of people who are just gonna gonna take a nice long nap and have a nice kind of long relaxing time in between chaotic world ending battles. Uh, I don't know. I feel like my character would be like heading home, head home to Silver Moon, help rebuild because we know there's more scour- scourge activity in Silver Moon right now. We had a quest about that, and also Silver Moon has had this like giant dead scar through it since it was introduced in Burning Crusade and maybe we could do something about that. I'm always looking forward to the expansion where we like go home and rebuild some of the crap we've broken over the years. That actually was the one thing I thought was interesting is that uh, Steve Denuser when he made the announcement said that stuff that we don't that doesn't that there aren't quests for in game will not be happening during the three year gap. Hmm. So they won't be giving Gilneas back. You won't get to see a restored Gilneas. Uh, the Lord Oran, you will get to see stuff because there was a quest. So players saw it, uh, but there won't be anything happening off camera. Like no, no big world changes happening, you know, whilst we're, you know, all sipping daiquiris from pumpkins or whatever we're doing. Uh, I'm positive. My character is literally just always comes back to pumpkins and daiquiris. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so that's one thing that's happening. I think that's really interesting that they've decided to really go for that sort of time skip. They've never really done that before, uh, as Joe pointed out. So that's that's interesting. Um, I, I want there's like a few other things I want to talk about. I was like, I don't know if we have time, and it's just like, well, I will. I'll talk briefly about just playing Dragonflight because I've been doing something a little weird. Uh, I I can't play a character that doesn't have a transmog like and. Right now, you have to play pre-made characters, either a pre-made level 60 that you level up to 70 or a, a pre-made level 70. You can't import your own characters, so you don't get any of your own mounts or pets or any of that. And I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't be wearing that <laughs> starter armor. It's just like, no, I cannot wear this. I cannot be seen in this. So I've been running like as many of the, of the uh, classic, basically any raid I can get into. Um, I wanted to run some... Uh, Battle for Azeroth raids, but unfortunately they're all, you have to unlock them by doing quests to get through, and it takes a long time. So I haven't got any of my characters ready to do that yet. Um, but I've, I've run up to Legion, and I ran a little Castle Nathria LFR. And the Castle Nathria LFR was, was pretty hard. I did get um, the first guy down, the, the screaming bat thing. Uh, you, you guys know who I'm talking about. Shriekwing? Is it Shriekwing? Is that his name? Shriekwing is the first one. Yes, the bat. Yeah. Yeah. So I managed to kill him. That was not fun. Um, but I haven't done any of the others. I haven't like really tried very hard in Castle Nathria. Uh, but it feels like it's at least possible to start doing that the, that content once we get into Dragon dragon Flight. Although I definitely feel like tuning is messed up. Uh, he had some abilities that didn't do anything. To like I knew they should have done more than that. They didn't do anything. So that might be a tuning issue. But in general, I feel like it's going to be fairly viable to, to farm old content for transmog looks, which 
is a niche thing to want to do, but I love doing it. And I've been doing it since Transmog came out. And I'm really happy that I will be able to keep doing it. Even though I don't need a heck of a lot of Transmog at this point. <laughs> like uh, my main, like most of my characters are all plate wearers because, you know, I, that way I double up on possible Transmogs. And the only thing I would really, I think I'm going to do when, when Dragonflight comes out is I'm going to take my little uh, Dark Iron Dwarf Paladin and I'm going to farm up every Paladin set. Because <laughs> she does not have all the sets. And that's really annoying to me. But in general, um, I felt like the most recent build definitely tightened up the talents a bit. Um, I don't really have a lot else to say. Uh, Valdraken's a cool city, and the zones are, are good. They're pretty. The, the questing seems to work pretty well. Um, I'm getting definite Warlords of Draenor vibes off of the zones. Not in terms of them feeling like they are in Warlords of Draenor, but just the, the way that these zones are very big, and there's a lot going on in them. Feels very Warlords of Draenor. Uh, if you guys remember how you know how just truly massive Frostbite yeah, was, it just the the world just felt big. No, either of you have anything else to say about that? Uh, I will say we have not had a new build for this week, but we are expecting it to land tomorrow, so a little later than usual. But uh, we haven't had any new content since the last podcast, so yeah, not eh. much to talk about. Yeah, same old, same old. I mean, as much as you can call an early game alpha, same old, same old. I will say that I've been trying to work on a post because Liz reminded me I had to get it done uh, about the dungeons. There's like, I think 10 that, that are currently in the uh, adventure guide. I don't remember. I, I got into a queue for one, but then the, the server went down. So I didn't actually get to do it. Uh, but I have been looking at those. There's some interesting ones to some of the text. Uh, there's, there's a new kind of like halls of something. It's like the halls of origination, but slightly different. They, they've got one of those. There's the Aldemon dungeon, which is really interesting. There's a lot of, like, essentially something Joe guessed about on Lorewatch is part of this dungeon. I don't and think I've heard about this yet. I'm curious what I was right about. Uh, we talked about it. Do you, do you want me to just tell you? I mean... Yeah! Okay. Uh, you said you thought that one of the things about going to Aldemon was going to be the aspects trying to get back their aspect hood. And Sweet. that is, in fact, the case. Yeah, that is that is the stand that's in the adventure journal. So it's not even like a mild secret. Like right there in the adventure journal, Alex Straza sends you to Oldemon because she's got too much going on herself to send it to go do it herself. And she wants to know if, if anything left behind by tear will, would help the aspects do that. So, and also it has, it has the, one of the things it's got the uh, infinite dragon flight are mentioned and why they're doing what they're doing. So, that's that's new to me, and so I brought that up to you guys. Uh, but yeah, okay. And we are two minutes over and haven't talked of doing I, any of these questions. Liz, I know I, you have more to talk about, so I'm definitely... Sorry. I really think we have to at least uh, mention Hearthstone because Hearthstone got a pile of Battlegrounds updates today. Uh, like, really a pretty big news bomb that uh, we're getting... We knew we were going to get Battlegrounds content kind of in a seasonal cadence. And uh, our fir our season two is going to start at the end of August. And it's going to include a new season pass system and rewards track that's specific to Battlegrounds. There will be a paid and a freed reward free rewards track, kind of like there is in the standard rewards track now. And it feels really confusing because we have a reward track for the whole game, which still includes a lot of Battlegrounds rewards. And then we have a specific Battlegrounds reward uh, track, which looks like it's going to include the stuff that was previously in the Tavern Pass. This is just going to be part of like this new Battlegrounds season pass system. Um, so it feels a little odd. It feels complicated but there are people who play hearthstone just to play battlegrounds and there the now there will be stuff kind of really tailored towards them uh we're also getting a couple of new heroes we're getting denathrius and murloc holmes as uh playable battlegrounds heroes which is going to be interesting and um we're getting a new currency throughout the entire game called runestones and i i gotta say i hate it i hate it I hate the proliferation of currencies in games. Why do we need so many currencies? Basically, runestones are going to be replacing cash purchases in the game. You will buy runestones and you will use runestones to buy things in the game. And there, it sounds like there will no longer be cash purchases except to purchase runestones. 
and uh, runestones will be used to buy everything, buy cosmetics, buy this, buy that. Um, what I'm not clear on is the role of gold, which is the currency you could currently earn in-game, will play in this new system, but it they haven't said gold is going away, so it sounds like we'll probably have a pay-for currency that's used to buy most things, and a currency you can all earn in-game, gold, that you can buy some things with. And we'll kind of see how that balances out. But man, I just don't like piling on the currency systems. It feels, just feels bad. It's complicated. It's confusing. And now we have two different words tracks where different things will be on them, but there's overlap between them because both of them have Battlegrounds rewards. The standard rewards track has quests that you complete to progress through it. The Battlegrounds reward track will have missions you complete to progress through it. But also in Battlegrounds, there's a new mechanic called quests that are a new gameplay mechanic that you'll get quest complete as you progress through Battleground matches in Season 2. And it's just really confusing. It's this whole pile of systems and words, and some of the systems overlap, and some of the words overlap. And as an editor, I am confused as to how I can explain this to you, because it's just... It's word salad over here. <laughs> uh, but it will be interesting to see how it plays out. And that's, that's kind of that's the quickest summary I can give of these new systems. So does it make you want to play Battlegrounds more or less? What, what's your, your really fast elevator take on it? Uh, well, I really enjoy Battlegrounds. I think I, I'm definitely still going to play Battlegrounds. You do not have to pay for this new Battlegrounds Season Pass. You can continue to play absolutely for free, and you have the free side of this new Battlegrounds Season Pass where you'll be able to earn rewards. Uh, so I'm going to keep doing that, and I might buy the Season Pass. I'll see what kind of cool cosmetics it has. I, I just think Battlegrounds is some of the most fun content in Hearthstone, and... Um, Blizzard has never, like, monetized it really well. So they are clearly making a push to kind of fund the popularity of Battlegrounds. And it's just, it's it's weird. We'll have to see how it feels when it rolls out. Will it feel like, oh, I get all these cool new rewards? Or is it going to feel like, oh, I've got to play, pay Blizzard more money to access the same thing? Right now, it sounds like the same stuff will be available to you without any purchases. Uh but yeah, we're getting a new rewards track and some of it's just confusing having two different rewards tracks. Yeah, I don't like the idea of all that currency either, quite frankly. But yeah. at this point, I feel like we've covered most of what we would want to and we are pretty much over. Um, didn't mention the WoW Variety Show. I'm sorry, uh, Tally and, and Evie. I, I, we will be mentioning it, but um, it's going over tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah, there will be a weird WoW variety show streaming on Twitch tomorrow, so uh, check it out. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it will probably be interesting. Yeah, um, so yeah, uh, that's pretty much everything. Uh, we didn't mention the WoW Classic pre-patch launch. That's on the 30th of August, so that's next week. Next, In fact, next Tuesday, uh, Wrath Classic will be getting its pre-patch launch, and you will be able to, I assume, level a Death Knight, uh, take them through... Uh, Burning Crusade zones, all that kind of thing. That's how it worked when it looked the last time, so we'll find out. However, at this point, I'm going to turn to Joe and expectantly look at him like a dog that wants to be let outside because it has to use the uh, facilities and and hope he gets the clue and, and does the thing. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. Um, we, we've talked the entire podcast and didn't do any emails. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, uh, we will, of course, put them forward and try to answer them next week. Maybe got to start using the pre-show for answering emails. <laughs> it's like we're seriously not getting through any of them. I feel kind of bad. Well, we just but, have uh, a lot of news to cover, and it's a we're in a we're in a news intensive cycle right now. Yeah, unfortunately, right? It's, it's true. Unfortunately, well, fortunately, I mean, both fortunately it, and unfortunately, yeah, it's at least it's not the thing where they literally drop a huge news announcement on Wednesday after we've done a podcast. I'm sure they won't do that this time. Well, except we're getting an alpha build probably tomorrow. Yeah, I know. Other than that, <sighs> other than that. <laughs> 
anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for like listening to us. Uh, this has been the Blizzard Witch Podcast. If you've got a question for the show, I promise we'll get to it sooner or later. Uh, please send it to podcast at blizzardwatch.com with a subject line podcast or Blizzard Watch so we know it's for the show. Or you can go to our Discord server and go to our patron Q and podcast questions channel where we look for questions from our patrons because you guys make all this possible and we'd like to get a little bit back in return. Or if you can't support us, but you still want to interact, we still love you. We love your questions. You can go to the Q and podcast questions channel, which is for anybody. And you can ask your question there. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here. Um, on behalf of myself, Joe and Liz, this has been the Blizzard Watch podcast and we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.